Hello friends, I'm Katherine Boyle. In episode 83, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Stephanie C. Holmes in part one of this two-part conversation. You might want to listen to part one before going on to this second part. The entire conversation is packed with information about autism that's important to ministry leaders, parents, couples, and individuals. As we wrapped up last week, Stephanie made the point that the world needs all kinds of brains and that many people who have done really big things had neurodiverse brains. We pick up the conversation right there to start part two. Yeah, I I remember my husband and I went to Italy um, 10 years ago for an anniversary. And if you haven't ever been, um, Michelangelo is officially my favorite uh, artist of all time. And his work was just I mean, it's, it just bat- boggles the mind that he could produce so much in you know, a relatively short lifespan, but he was notoriously known for being a grumpy person. And it just makes me wonder, you know, if he was on the spectrum, if he had bipolar disorder, if he, you know, if he had something else going on that created this incredible gifting, but also made him, you know, not so great with other people. So anyway... I think that's true. I heard a lecture on this and and it really resonated that, you know, in the past, while we may have not have known about autism and Asperger's um, for higher functioning people, is our society valued different things a hundred plus years ago. Yes. If you were an inventor and you were intelligent, it didn't matter if you were quirky or what your personality was. Um, If you were producing and giving something to society, if you were a little quirky doing it, I mean, look at Albert Einstein, right? I mean, he's got some quirky looking hair. Right. But we shifted into this like social era that your image, how you look, how you talk, what you own, what your job is, um, it's made it more difficult for neurodiverse people because yes. we shifted so much from what was a strength and a value set that yes. they had to like, oh, now we value all this other things in our society. I mean, you can be shallow and mean and produce nothing, but if you've got a thousand followers or a million followers or whatever on your social media, you're really important, even though you're not really contributing much to society, but we value that more. And so it's kind of an unfair shift um, that kind of puts those with differences in a negative light. When I think before there probably was more value there because Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, and um, yeah, and, and you never, you never would have noticed in that culture, you know, because everybody was working hard at, you know, whatever they were, they were gifted with and um, yeah, didn't have time to, you, you know, could be distant, aloof, quirky, um, exactly. inventors. Like we were watching this show about um, all the early inventors and definitely the guy who invented the toaster. He had to be on the spectrum. This <laughs> He was going to the cafe and they couldn't make his toast, um, even on both sides, because whatever they had was a one-sided toaster. So he went home one day and decided he is going to make the perfectly toasted piece of bread. And he locks himself essentially down in his basement and his granddaughter or great-granddaughter is telling the story. He's like, yeah, he ignored the family. No one saw him. He'd go come home from work, go down. And then he makes the toaster and doesn't keep it for himself. He takes one to the cafe and it's like, here, now make my toast. <laughs> Correct. That, that, that definitely sounds like he's on the spectrum because he, you know, genius at creating, but doesn't know how to capitalize on it. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really priceless. Wow. Well, we talked a little bit already about 
the really incredible challenges to your faith when you go through something like what your family went through, which is not an uncommon experience. Um, so, you know, now we're years after the fact, you know, thank the Lord for, you know, getting us through hard times. But um, so how have you grown as a Christian, you know, as, as a person in your relationship with Christ, because you've been privileged to be a parent of a child who has, you know, a hidden disability, and then also as, you know, a spouse who has a hidden disability? Yeah, I think, you know, growing up as a child, I struggled with the story of the pools of Bethesda of when Jesus went and healed the one man who'd been a paralytic for 28 or 38 years. And I'm I'm thinking in my mind as a kid, you know, there's this pool and the little flanographs, right? You have all these people with disabilities that are sitting and laying around and Jesus healing this one person standing amongst all these other people with disabilities. And as a child, I thought that was so mean. I was like, Mm. at least Oprah would be like, you get a healing. (laughs) What is going on here? And that I didn't get that resolved until a couple of years ago when I went to Israel. And I was really like seeking the Lord. Like, I don't, I really don't understand. You know, I'm a person that believes in healing. Like, how do you choose sometimes? (laughs) You know, this, Mm. I don't understand the method to your madness, but you'll never know this unless you go to Israel. But the pools of Bethesda first was a Gentile pagan pool. It was not, you know, a ritual pool, but above it was this, I say it wrong, like a cyclopus or something. It was like a a Greek place where you would come for all the hocus pocus kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you hear that little piece in the Bible about how the waters would stir, what was happening was this place above the waters would run down into the pool and that's what would make it stir. And so for people who were coming all over the ancient world to like get snake bit or whatever crazy thing they were doing um, (laughs) up in the pagan world, which was medicine at the time, they thought just getting a little bit of that water into their pools, that's what would cause the miracle, you know, for them to get healed. Right. So they try to jump in and and try to get it when the water's pool, but all it really was, was the runoff (laughs) from the pool above. And so it, the Holy spirit just spoke to me and said, if Jesus, if, if everyone would have been healed that day, people would not have given credit to Jesus. First of all, they would have given credit to the pagan uh, the water that flew down. Right. And that, that Jesus, while he came down, his primary, um, his, his primary was to save us and to reconcile us to God and, right. and the world of disability and differences, disability and differences is going to be part of our world forever. Right. Done no good to heal everyone that he walked around because there's still going to be disability in the world better. We need to learn how to embrace and minister and make a part of society versus sticking people over here. Here's your pool and here's your place. We'll come visit you when we want to see you. But the importance of integration, how Jesus saw him and Jesus did heal that one, but also there's the lessons on how we treat people who are different, how we as a society need to treat those who are marginalized. And that, spoke to me that day in Israel because I had like carried this like chip on my shoulder a little bit with God. Like mm-hmm. it just really feels like you just got some, you got to be in the know or something like get that special healing. Yeah. yeah. Like how do you get that? And I'm of a charismatic bent and my you know church always grew up and believe in healing. So in my twenties, when my daughter was diagnosed, I was kind of in that faith crisis. I came out of the faith crisis and really examined like who God is and okay, God, I don't really know what you're doing, but I trust you because you know more than I do. And then as kind of in the space where we're at now is, you know, how much God loves us all equal, those who are marginalized, those who are in the majority and um, how 
how much we as people of faith and in the church should be serving the marginalized, not just because, I mean, it wasn't on my, it wasn't even in my periphery until it came to me and came to my house. I I don't know that I would be saying and doing the things right now, except for the Lord spoke to me and said, instead of being angry that there were no resources for you, why don't you be the resource? Right. Why don't you do that? And at first I was like, no. And I ran away for three years and something else. And then it's like, okay, I think I'll join and partner with you, God, here. And and I think, I think I understand now the bigger picture of, you know, all of this. You didn't do this to me. You didn't make me make this happen to my family so that you knew this would happen to this, my family. And you were right me for the next ministry. And that's a huge mindset shift of God did this to me versus God just didn't prevent this from happening. He let the laws of nature and genetics do what they were going to do. And then is with you. I think the bigger miracle now than being healed is living with your disability and difference and being able to praise God and be the person you're called to be not just like an overcoming mindset, like, yeah, you know, but despite the fact that there's not a healing, despite the fact there's still a difference, um, what God wants to do in your life, um, anyway, and and people are watching you when you're going through this as a family, I think that speaks more. I don't even think the world recognizes healings much anymore. Like, Oh, that was science. That was medicine. You must've had that in the, in the first place. But if you go through and suffer well, and you yes. still praise the Lord in your difficult circumstances. I think that's more miraculous in this world. Yeah, I totally agree. And and um, you know, you see, you see, um, well, a, a lot of people in the disability community recognize that you know, if they if they do have kind of a uh, uh, charismatic isn't the right word, but but more of a um, fundamentalist conservative kind of interpretation of scripture that um that that you know people with disabilities and in Luke 14 there's two stories about uh people getting invited to the banquet of the king and and they're the last people invited and um so you know all these however many years people have been on the planet you know Jesus did not heal everybody who could have been healed at the time he was on the earth. You know, he specifically said that the poor would always be with you. Um, you know, Job was arguably the the oldest book written right after the first part of Genesis, you know, which I think is pretty telling that God wanted us to know that suffering was, you know, a, a pretty significant part of the human experience. And, uh, you know, you got a choice when you have suffering. You know, do you Do you trust him or do you turn your back on him? And so, um, but God can do just amazing things when we, when we realize that, you know, our, our challenges aren't going to go away. And, uh, you know, so what does Christ want us to do with him by our side through those challenges, which is exactly what you have done with the ministry that God has given you. Um, and it's something that is so needed. So, um, and, and I would argue that a whole lot of the disability ministry that we see in our culture, which is relatively recent, you know, and really most of the people that we interact with have only been at this for the last 20 to 25, 30 years, um, that it's because, you know, Christ is showing people little by little that, you know, they do have a very important purpose and and role in kind of guiding and helping the church understand um, 
you know, the value of every person, whether they have an ability or a disability. So, so um, we, uh, I am loving this conversation, but I want to be uh, mindful of your time. So if listeners have just received that diagnosis for their child, um, or they're listening to this and they're like, oh my goodness, this sounds like somebody I love, you know, whether it's their child, their spouse, um, you know, parent, their sibling, um, what are just one or two things that you recommend that they do not only to help that other person, but to take care of their own needs? Um, because it can be a, that, that can, you know, be a, the start of a mental health crisis for families who um, are starting to go down this journey. So, you know, just one or two things that you would recommend for people to do to take good care of themselves. First of all, not to be alone and isolate. Um, the tagline of my book, the tagline of my podcast, the tagline of everything I do is you're not alone on your journey. So um, a protective factor for your mental, spiritual health is to not be alone and to find a group. And because we're 20 years out um, from my daughter's diagnosis, there are parent support groups. There are autism societies. Um, if your church doesn't have a ministry, maybe a bigger church does. And right. so I think first of all, um, you know, self-care, you can't give what you don't have and self-care right. selfish. So um, on this journey, you need um, support, you need your community, and you might need to go looking for it. Don't expect it just to fall into your lap. Right. Um, it, it won't fall into your lap. <laughs> community um, because you need that around you because most of us don't live near extended family anymore. So right. Need a community and then find the resources that are helpful um, to you. Start now. Read a podcast. I mean, there's so many podcasts now, like this one. Yes. Get a podcast. You can listen to it in your car. You can be educated everywhere you're going. And then do one small thing at a time. Just do one small step next. Um, it's it's huge and it's ginormous and it's an overwhelming. Just pick one thing and do that, and then just pick the next thing and do that, and then you'll you'll see that you're moving forward in that journey. Right. And Jesus is very tender when we have those moments where, you know, we are really at our bottom. So I would encourage people to also look for ways that that he is just making um, speaking to you through his words, um, you know, just interesting things that happen in your life that are connected to what you're going through. You know, he, he often is, is very personal and present that way. So. Well, you have a new book that is out now, and uh, it was not only written by you, but every member of your family contributed, which is really a pretty cool thing. So um, just talk a little bit about that and how it can be helpful to families who might you know, be listening and, and recognizing that they have some of these same challenges. Yes. Yeah, so um, the Lord put this on our heart earlier this year. Um, my oldest daughter, um, this was turning 25 this year. And she was like, you know, mom, you've, you've told a lot of my story through your lens and through your eyes. And I'd really like to kind of collaborate with you. And, um, you know, so we originally thought it was going to be a mother daughter thing, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of historian, but then her talk about, you know, the impact of various things at school and church on her. So we started moving down that way. And then my husband said, well, you know, I've got my own identification journey that's come and, you know, that can be important. I want to speak to dads about being more involved in their kids' special needs journey because he had kind of abdicated that role uh, to me. Um, and why you've got to be more important, why you've got to be more supportive of your wife. And if you've got your own diagnosis, how might that be? So we're like, okay, the three of us are going to write a book. And then my youngest said, well, I'm neurodivergent too. I have ADHD. ADHD hardly gets talked about because autism spotlights the ADHD. And, you know, sometimes being a sibling to someone on the spectrum is not always uh, parades and balloons, as we said, yeah. so there's some difficult dark sides of that. So I want to add the sibling piece. So we kind of put it all together and, um, 
we decided that we didn't just want it to be a story because there's a lot of stories out there. So we've incorporated um, a spiritual reflection devotional at the end of each chapter. Like if I was going through a faith crisis or whatever was going like, and here's verses that help me and here's some story and narrative around it. And then at the end of the book, I'm very excited about this. And this is about be the resource. But um, if you don't know what to do, if you're a church, I put like, you can connect to key ministry and here's three other ministries that you can connect to. Here's some things they do that are free. Here's some paid services. You can't say you don't know who to contact. Here's actually four places you can contact with websites and everything and other coaches and a lot of other speakers who's been at key ministry. I put everybody in there, like get a coach, get a community, connect your church. So um, I just collected in fact, key ministry conference, I was like, okay, I want you, I want you, I want you. I'm going to put your name in here. I'm going to put your name in here. And so, cause it's not just about like us and our book, but even if you don't want my resources, if you connect to somebody else's resource, um, because they live near you or, um, they're a good resource for you. We're about people getting resources and community. And so we wanted our book to be more than a story. We're calling it a resource and a guide on your journey. So that was kind of our story. Be the thing be the person that you wanted. So we've kind of taken our 20 years of the journey and put it into the book through story, devotion, and practical tips and resources. Well, that sounds phenomenal. So um, I'm going to share the link to the book and tell tell everybody what your website is. And we'll share a link to that too. Okay. You can find out anything about the book at www.christianneurodiversefamilies.com. And you can get, um, you can see where the ebook, the audio or the print book is from that one site. Fabulous. All right. And again, we'll make sure that we have, you know, that linked in our show notes. So Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. This has been just a fabulous conversation. Um, definitely took some directions that I didn't anticipate, but that's the beauty of podcasting. And and I think that, um, you know, I, I would just encourage all the listeners, if you aren't familiar with Stephanie's resources, to go check them out because, um, you know, she's got a lot of great insight um, from not only the personal lens, but also the professional lens. And that's just a really important and, and helpful com- uh, combination when you're looking for some resources. So um, thank you again for uh, listening to Key Ministry, the podcast. I encourage you, if you haven't subscribed to us, to go ahead and hit that subscribe button right now so that you never miss an episode like this great conversation that we've had today with Stephanie Holmes. So for the whole Key Ministry team, I'm Catherine Boyle. Thanks so much for joining me on Key Ministry, the podcast. All the links mentioned in the conversation are in the show notes for today's episode, as well as for episode 83. If you'd like to meet Stephanie in person, she will be one of the many impactful presenters at Disability in the Church 2024, May 1st through 3rd in Orlando, Florida. You can find out all the information about the conference and our work at keyministry.org. For the Key Ministry team, thanks for listening to Key Ministry, the podcast.